Good morning again, everybody. A glorious day to be together, amen? What a journey it's been. Session number nine, the mystery of death. Thursday night, we talked about end times of revelation, the 2300-day prophecy. We revealed a glorious truth, a glorious promise that the Lord laid out for us of what would happen. And, And we talked about this judgment scene and when that judgment scene would start. And we covered it with the Bible. We didn't pick dates randomly. We didn't throw theories out. We didn't throw Dan's opinion out. We calculated it through the Bible. Amen? As Julie said, ye shall know the truth and it shall set you free. John chapter 8, verse 32. Mystery of death. We're going to talk about what, it's, what happens when you die. According to what the Bible says. Because there's all kinds of theories about death. Amen? A lot of people think a lot of different things. A lot of people tell you different things. What does the Bible tell us about death? Before we go to the Bible, let's open with a word of prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Glorious Father, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for the Sabbath rest. And thank you for the time that you carved out of the rock of your time to be with us. For the Sabbath truly is a gift to be with you. Lord, now please send your Holy Spirit. Send your angels to be with us. Open our hearts and minds. Reveal your truths. Touch our hearts so that when we study this often complicated and confusing subject, it will no longer be confusing because we will open our hearts to your word because your word is truth. Lord, I ask you now, please lift us up. Keep us strong. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The mystery of death. She was less than two months old when she died. The official diagnosis was SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Her grandmother laid her down in her crib one afternoon. And when grandma came back, the family's little princess was dead. Just seven weeks old. The family struggled with this tragedy, as I know we all have. Just a few months earlier, the baby's great-grandfather had died. Baby Laura's three-year-old little brother did the best he could to make sense of this terrible tragedy. Even as her tiny casket was being lowered into the ground, he was asking curiously, why is she sleeping? Why won't she wake up? Why have they put her in that box? Why are they putting that box in the ground? It was then that a well-meaning family member came over got down beside the little guy, put a kind hand on his shoulder and said, great-granddad was getting lonely up there in heaven. And so God took your little sister to be with him so that she could keep him company. Friends, we've all heard it. It's very interesting what people will say in an attempt to explain death. You've heard it. When you die, you go straight to heaven. When you die, you go straight to hell. When you die, you go to purgatory. Many people believe that when you die, that's it. The end. How can we possibly know what really happens when we die? The truth of the matter is that unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to find out sooner or later. Amen? Death is a certainty. There's no question in that statement. And for many people, it's also a mystery. 
But there is someone who understands the mystery of death. And you should expect his book to contain reliable truth on the subject of what happens when a person dies. Today, I'm just as I promised, as I've done throughout the entire seminar, and I promise you I will continue to do throughout the entire seminar, we're going to see what the Bible says. Turn with me all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Page 1 if you're using a pew Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. So in the beginning, God created. We've talked about this in several sessions, amen? Now turn with me to verse 26. Genesis goes through the creation week, all the glorious creation that the Lord made. And in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Man was made in the perfect image of God. Perfect. Friends, this is an often overlooked gift in the Bible. An often overlooked, glorious idea that we often don't even realize. We weren't made randomly. We weren't made out of just some random form. The Lord made us in his likeness. God made us in his own image. Friends, we often sell ourselves short on that, that we are made in the image of God. Many people think that we're like a lesser life form. No, we're made in the image of the almighty creator. A little further in Genesis, chapter 2 now, verse 16 and 17. I talked about this in the question today. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Was the Lord clear? Crystal. Eat everything in this garden, except that one tree. Everything here is for you. Don't. Eat from that tree. His instruction was clear. If you eat from this tree, you will die. God created us to live forever. Death was never part of his plan. But sin entered the world and sin separated us from God. And you've heard that theme throughout the seminar, amen? Sin separates us from the Lord and ultimately brings death. Here's how it happened. Continue in Genesis, now to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Let me ask you this, before we keep going. Did Eve accurately repeat God's instruction? I heard a yes. No. In the Lord's instruction, what did he say? He said, do not eat of that fruit. Did he say anything about touching it? No. Where did this touching business come from? Eve added it. 
She added information. And immediately Satan jumped on that opportunity. She left the foundation of the Lord's word. She left his rock for just a split second. And that was all Satan needed. He jumped on that opportunity. He knew once he had her away from the word, then deception was his. She found herself in jeopardy. I'll continue, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Great controversy. I've been talking about it every night, every session. The Lord said, you will die. Satan said, you surely will not die. Sadly, friends, there are many people today who believe what the devil says on this subject rather than what God said. Think about that. God said, you surely will die. The devil came along and said, no, 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 you won't. Eve chose to believe Satan instead of God. She exercised her free will gift from the Lord and chose to believe Satan. Let me tell you, if Satan's version of this is true, that would mean that when a person dies, they're not really dead, right? Then they're going to still go on living according to Satan. He says, you surely will not die. Which means a person could go to a seance and communicate with the dead. A dead person might go back home and communicate with his surviving loved ones. A husband could visit a surviving wife or children or their parents. But the Bible is clear. The Bible says the dead don't come back and visit the living. Friends, seances are not of God. Turn me to Job chapter 7, page 483. Job chapter 7, verse 8. The eye of him who sees me will see no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Friends, the Bible is very clear. The dead don't go back home. They don't go back home and haunt their houses. They don't go back and visit their friends once they're dead. Job continues. Turn me to... Chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 22. For when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. Job is saying he's not coming back when he dies. When he goes down in the grave, he's not coming back. He's not raising up. He's not visiting his friends. He's not visiting his families. It says, return no more. The go the way of no return. Friends, the Bible helps us understand what really happens when a person dies. And perhaps the best way of understanding our ending is to understand our beginning. Now turn with me back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, page 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. In 
the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. In the King James Version, it says a living soul. And this is important. This is describing the very act of creating man. This is describing how the Lord created man. If you look in the Bible, search it cover to cover, you will not find anywhere that the Bible says that God gave the human being a soul. It does not say that anywhere in the Bible. Let's look at this formula. You have dust of the ground. The Lord took dust of the ground. That's what he made Adam out of, right? The Bible says he formed him out of the dust of the ground. Plus the breath of life. So the Lord took dust of the ground, formed his body, and then he breathed the breath of life. And it equals a living soul. So God breathed this breath of life into this inanimate body that he had created out of the dust. Friends, a soul is not what you have. A soul is what you are. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. You are a living soul. Turn me to Psalms chapter 146, page 601. Psalms chapter 146. Verse 4. Once again, from the King James Bible, his breath goeth forth. He returneth to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Notice David says, his breath goeth forth. Nowhere does David mention his soul leaving a body. It says his breath goeth forth. The Bible says the dust of the ground plus the breath of life equals a living soul. Friends, Adam was a living soul. Eve was a living soul. You are a living soul. The Bible many times refers to people as souls. We've talked about this in a couple sessions. Remember Pentecost. The Bible records at Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church. I promise you, these weren't 3,000 ghosts. These were people. Living beings in whom the breath of life was inside of them. Paul wrote in Acts chapter 27 verse 37 that 276 souls were on board a certain boat. Once again, these were not disembodied spirits or ghosts. These were real people traveling with Paul in a boat. He refers to them as souls. The Bible says that at a person's death, their breath goes back to God. But it's not something that's living or conscious. It's a gift from the Lord. Turn me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, page 646. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. When you die, your spirit goes back to the Lord. Scripture's clear. But what is this spirit? 
Now back to Job chapter 27. Page 498. Job chapter 27 verse 3. All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Is that Spirit. The Spirit is of God. It's the breath of God. Remember, the book of Job is a book of poetry. A form of poetry where thoughts are rhymed rather than sounds. His thoughts are rhymed, not the sounds. Job says, all the while my breath is in me. And then he defines what that breath is when he says, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. You see, that breath of life that is in me is actually the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit that goes back to God isn't an entity. It doesn't have consciences. It doesn't have intelligence. It is merely breath that goes back to God, the life spark that he has given us. Before God breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve, they were just a body. I'm sorry, Adam. Just Adam was just a body. He was just a body that he had formed out of dust, inanimate, until he breathed breathe that breath of life into him. Once he breathed that breath of life into him, he became a living soul. When Adam died, he breathed his last breath. And symbolically speaking, when he died, that breath went back to God. Friends, God possesses the ability to put that breath back into Adam's body and to make him live again. I want to reiterate this. God never gave anybody a soul. We are all living souls. A soul is not what you have. It's what you are. Now, I know many have been told that we have immortal souls. How many have heard that term? Immortal soul. We have an immortal soul. I've heard it. The Bible does not support this idea. The word souls and spirit are used in the Bible hundreds of times. But not once does the Bible say that the soul is immortal. You cannot find it anywhere in the Bible. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6, page 1142. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Which he will manifest at his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Did you catch that? God alone has immortality. Only God is immortal. Now back up. I'm sorry, we're going to stay right there. First Timothy no, we're going to back up. First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 17. Once again, Paul. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Only God is immortal. Scripture is clear. We are not immortal. As a matter of fact, Paul continues in Romans chapter 2. 
says, eternal life to those who be patient, continuance, and doing good, seek for immortality. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would we seek for immortality if we already had it? Think about that. You don't seek for something you already have, amen? Paul is telling us clearly, we are not immortal. We seek or we long to be immortal. Termini Ezekiel, chapter 18, the Old Testament, page 817. Ezekiel, chapter 18. Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And we've talked about this law. We've talked about this sin concept in several sessions. Amen? And the Bible's clear. If the Bible is so plain on this, how did we get to a place where we believe that when we die, our soul goes somewhere else? How did we get here? The Bible's clear. Well, I'll tell you how. By not carefully studying our Bibles. Instead, one day, Eve was talking to a snake who told her, you shall not surely die. And that's how we got here. Remember my discussion on how cunning, how smart Satan is. He deceived one-third of all the angels. These were sinless, perfect creatures. And they were deceived. Friends, I want to reiterate this point. Satan is the father of lies. Jesus told us that. The greatest deceiver of all times. As I said earlier, Eve wandered from the rock. She wandered from the word of the Lord. From that foundation of God. And she became easy prey. Satan was able to separate Eve from God, even for just a short moment. And thus lure her to a death sentence. As I've said before, Satan's only goal is to separate you from God. That's his sole intent. That's his only purpose. That's his only job, his only vocation. He lives to hurt the Lord. And the only way he can hurt the Lord is to separate God's children from the Lord. But I'm sure we wonder, don't we, about the things we hear? The stories about people that are in the hospital who float up out of their bodies. Do people really experience this? Yes. People really do experience that sort of thing. In fact, some practitioners of Eastern religions are known to have had out-of-body experiences. Air Force pilots under immense G-force have been known to have out-of-body experiences. Drug users are definitely known to have out-of-body experiences. No, I do not know firsthand. I saw some questioning looks. (laughs) So what do scientists tell us? From the Washington Post, a new study suggests that these out-of-body and near-death experiences may be influenced by a portion of the brain misfiring under stress. There's a little part of the parietal lobe of your brain called the angular gyrus. Scientists say under certain circumstances, It can misfire and cause you to sense that you're floating outside of your body. 
It can fool your senses to make you think you're floating outside of your body. It happens when people are under stress. When you hear reports of these types of incidents after a car accident, or when somebody's in the ER, when doctors are struggling to save them, their bodies are under stress. They're under immense stress. You never hear anybody say, well, I was relaxing at the beach under an umbrella in a cool breeze, sipping a cool drink when suddenly I was floating outside my body. You hear these stories when people are under stress. Their bodies are either severely injured. Friends, these out-of-body experiences really happen. But it's the brain misfiring. It has nothing to do with a soul leaving your body. Remember, a soul is not what you have. It's what you are. Now let me ask you a question. When you get to heaven, do you expect to see King David there? I said people had to think about that one for a second. Is he trying to trick me? Friends, I know I expect to. Look at this. Turn me to Acts chapter 2. Page 1053. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Now, a little context. Peter's preaching at Pentecost. Amen? Thousands of people here. Preaching powerful sermon. Eight weeks before, he betrayed the Lord. Then the Holy Spirit touched his life. He converted, repented, and was all of a sudden a tremendous messenger for the Lord. That's another sermon. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Peter's saying, David's not in heaven. He's in his tomb, and we know where his tomb is. We can go visit it. He's laying in his tomb, sleeping. He's in his grave. And five verses later, Peter says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Peter himself says, David did not ascend to heaven. Scripture's clear, amen? Friends, good King David is dead. He's buried. He's in the grave. But he's not in heaven. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. God's word's not mine. Peter's very clear. Peter's telling us that David is resting in the grave, waiting for the return of the Lord. Now, how many funerals have you been to where you hear somebody say something like this? We can be glad today knowing that our loved one is right now in heaven. Come on. You'll hear it said, grandfather or grandmother is in heaven right now praising God. Grandma's in heaven looking down at you. Turn me to Psalms chapter 115, page 585. Psalms chapter 115. Verse 17. The psalmist tells us, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. David's telling you, it's silent down there. According to the Bible, the dead do not praise the Lord. 
What do they do? Well, Jesus tells us. Turn to John chapter 11. The Gospel of John, page 1038. John chapter 11. We'll start in verse 11. This should be a very familiar story, amen? John chapter 11, verse 11. We're talking about Lazarus. He's, Jesus is now talking about his disciples. News comes that Lazarus, their dear close friend, is gravely ill. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus... I'm sorry, we'll start in 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. They're thinking, great. If he's sleeping... He's resting. He's going to get better. They're thinking, this is great news. They say, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Friends, you can almost sense Jesus' confusion or consternation with them in this exchange. It's like, you're not getting it. So he cuts right to the chase. He said, no, he's not resting. He's dead. Notice what Jesus called death. Sleep. He called it sleep. He didn't say Lazarus went right to heaven, did he? And certainly Lazarus didn't go straight to hell. Lazarus was resting. He was sleeping. Friends, this was actually a comforting thought. It was as though Lazarus was resting in the arms of the Lord. When Jesus speaks to Martha, Lazarus' sister, he says, Martha, he didn't say, I'm sorry, he did not say, Martha, your brother Lazarus is in heaven. Did he say that? Nowhere in scripture. In fact, let's think about this. If that was true, don't you think Jesus would have shared that information with Martha? Don't you think that would have comforted her? That would have been the greatest news, right? And surely Jesus is our comforter, amen? Continue verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha understood what he meant. Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She understood that Lazarus was sleeping. And that she knew he would wake up one day, but not until Jesus returned. She knew he would come out of the grave when the resurrection takes place. But now as a token of the plan Christ has for those who rest in him, he demonstrated That he has the power over the grave. He holds the keys to death in his own hands. He tells us what he did for Lazarus. He can do for us. And for all of our loved ones. And for all who fall asleep in Christ. Amen. Verse 25. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, without me, Lazarus is going to stay in that tomb forever. But, Lazarus had faith in me. Lazarus loved me. He believed in me. Let me show you what I can do. Friends, Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. In fact, if people die and go straight to heaven, Jesus doesn't even need to be the resurrection and the life. As a matter of fact, if they die and go to heaven, there would be no need for resurrection at all, amen? There would be no need for the cross. If we could go to heaven without a resurrection, then what Jesus is saying here doesn't make any sense. And I promise you everything Jesus says makes sense, amen? The Bible describes death as an enemy. But a person who dies with faith in Christ dies with hope. Friends, the Bible is clear. There is going to be a resurrection one day. Death is a temporary interruption between life in this world and eternal life in the world to come. So what happened next? Turn me to verse 41. Then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Notice Jesus opens with a prayer to God. And a thanks to God. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. Now I want you to look at that statement. Does he say, Lazarus, come back from heaven? He says, come forth. Did he say, Lazarus, come up from hell? No. He knew where Lazarus was. Lazarus was in the grave, sleeping. Now think about this for a moment. If Lazarus was already in heaven, wouldn't it be awful cruel to drag him out of heaven and bring him back here? Is that a loving God? No. And we know God is love, amen? And what happened in Lazarus' experience is what will happen when graves of thousands of hillsides across the earth will open up. The dead will come forth brand new, never to die again, never to suffer sickness again, never to age, never to have an ache or a pain. Jesus will come back, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. Turn me to Psalms chapter 17, page 521. Psalms chapter 17, verse 15. Once again, David, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. 
I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. David knew what happened when we die. If he thought he was going to heaven, he would not have proclaimed his desire to awake from the sleep of death. Friends, David was a student of scripture. He knew what the Bible taught about death. Turn me to Daniel chapter 12, page 871. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. This is the prophet Daniel. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel understood it. David understood it. Martha understood it. Lazarus experienced it. The Bible calls death asleep. And I know sometimes thinking about grandma being a grave doesn't sound as nice as grandma being in heaven in Jesus. Right? That sounds better. If I think grandma's in heaven with Jesus, it makes me feel better. But remember, grandma doesn't mind. She's sleeping, unaware of anything that's taking place. Her last conscious thought was looking at her loved ones before she closed her eyes. Her next conscious thought, and this is the greatest promise of all, her next conscious thought will be looking in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? Friends, a lot of wonderful stories have been created by people trying to explain the mystery of death. The best story on this subject is the one the Bible tells. People rest in the graves until Jesus comes to wake them up and then take them to heaven. And knowing this will bring you peace. There's no one in heaven looking down at the suffering of their loved ones. Their wayward children. The bad choices that we make. Friends, if we truly believe God is love, we must believe he would not cause that to happen. The dead rest, waiting unconsciously for Jesus, the resurrection, and the life. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, page 644. Back to the left, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon, the wisest man, right? For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Bible's scripture's clear. The dead know nothing. Friends, the father of lies, Satan, has come up with this amazing deception. Spiritualism. The idea that when you die, you're not really dead. Remember, he said, you shall not surely die. And this enables communication between the living and the dead. And a lot of people believe this. Turn me to Revelations chapter 16. I promise you I was not going to get out of the book of Revelation in this seminar. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13. The book of Revelation explains why this is important. 
And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. It's telling us about this great deception in the end. Friends, we've been deceived. Spiritualism runs amok. Remember I said on the first night, spiritualism is rampant. More people believe Satan's version of death than God's. That's rampant. I answered your question. I'm going to keep answering it. Friends, there can be few things, if any, more deceptive than spiritualistic manifestations. What if somebody appeared to you from the dead? Would this get your attention? Absolutely, it would get my attention. Of course it would. And it happens. Millions of people around the world have been deceived by apparitions. Amen. You know that in places like Metagorge and Garabandal and other places, people have been seeing apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Now, I have to tell you, nobody has more respect for the Virgin Mary than myself. But the Bible is clear. The Virgin Mary is sleeping in the grave right now, along with all the other sleeping saints. So here's what we know. We know that the dead do not go back home after they die. We know that the dead are not in heaven praising the Lord. They are in the grave, sleeping and waiting for the resurrection. But what about where the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Who's heard that? Well, let's go to the Bible and see what it really says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Page 1114. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We look in the Bible, you're going to see that the Bible doesn't really say it like that. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Notice Paul did not say, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. He doesn't say that at all. If you read the passage, you'll find what he's saying is, I wish I could be out of this body. Now keep in mind, he had been stoned by enemies of God. He had been shipwrecked. Not a good day. And he wanted to be present with the Lord. Once again, like Eve, man has changed God's word and then traveled down the path of deception. We played with the words and then we lose our foundation of truth. Now notice this. Before he wrote those words, he had already written to these same people, the Corinthians. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One chapter back. Verse 51 and 52. Behold, I, t I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Friends, that hasn't happened yet. The Bible says, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Not when we die, but when Jesus returns. Friends, I say hallelujah. There's going to be a great waking up morning when Jesus returns. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 1137. Page 1137. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. Notice the reference to sleep. Those who sleep with Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. There's that mention of the trumpet of God again. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Friends. The Thessalonians were worried that that if you weren't alive when Jesus came back. You couldn't go to heaven. So Paul is here correcting this mistaken thinking. They had been deceived. They weren't following scripture. And Paul's correcting the course. He's saying, no, if you die before the Lord comes, if you died in the Lord, you will see him. You will be resurrected. You will go to heaven. And like I said, there's that trumpet again. It's that wonderful resurrection, that time of the Lord's second coming. And then Paul throws in a little P.S. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul knew that we would need comfort. Especially on this topic. Paul knew we were going to be deceived on this very point. Remember the earlier verse where he says, I tell you a mystery. It's a mystery because we left the Bible. When death rips a gaping hole in your family, God says there's comfort for us. Friends, Jesus is coming back and those who sleep will wake up. Those who are dead will come forth. Those who have given up the ghost will again breathe as God's breath goes into them again. There's a great day coming because Jesus is coming back. And the dead in Christ shall rise. And I say, thank God. Thank God the dead in Christ shall rise. And I'm sure some of you are sitting there saying, wait a minute, Dan. What about that thief on the cross? You read in the Bible where it says, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. How many have heard that? How many have read it? But so much that we've read tonight doesn't go along with that, right? That doesn't coincide with what I've read. I've gone from the Bible back, cover to back. I've walked you through all kinds of scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. 
this one little story doesn't seem to match up, does it? David said he would be satisfied when he woke up. Daniel said the same thing. Lazarus was sleeping. So how did this thief on the cross get to die and go straight to heaven? Well, let's look at it. Keep in mind, the Bible does not contradict itself ever. Jesus died on Good Friday. On Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene went to Jesus' tomb. And Jesus said to her in John chapter 20, verse 17, Touch me not, or do not cling to me. Why did he say that? Because I have not yet seen my Father in heaven. I have not yet ascended to heaven. But on Friday, he said to the thief, You'll be in paradise with me today. And two days later, he says, I haven't been to paradise. And friends, paradise is heaven. Now let's carefully think about this. The thief did not ask Jesus to take him to heaven that day. Turn me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 42, page 1023. Luke 23, verse 42. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice he didn't say, take me to heaven today. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So when is that? Our Father who art thou in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Friends, we're still praying for that. The thief did not say, take me to heaven today. He said, take me when your kingdom comes. At the second coming of the Lord. The Bible was inspired by God. But when it was written, it was not written separated into verses or chapters. And it was written without punctuation. No periods. No commas. The punctuation wasn't added until the 1400s. Most of the time, the Bible translators put the punctuation in the right place. Most of the time. Sometimes they did not. In this instance, they did not put the punctuation in the right place. If you put the comma where it ought to go, look at what you get. Surely I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Does that make a big difference? Makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Does it make sense now? Does it harmonize with what Daniel and David and Jesus and Lazarus and Paul told us? Perfectly. Friends, Jesus gave us assurance when he spoke to that thief on the cross. He said, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You can be certain of this today. Jesus was telling the thief that when he returns with his kingdom, the second coming, that the thief would be with him in paradise. Now think about this story. Why did Jesus tell that to this thief? He's a criminal. 
on the cross with him. Because he showed faith in the Lord. He repented. He acknowledged that he was Lord. And even in Jesus' dying moment, he's offering forgiveness. Friends, you can have confidence today. I know sometimes that your life isn't working out. I know sometimes it feels as if God has forgotten you. You might feel sometimes that you're not worthy of everlasting life. But I promise you today, you can know right now that you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' words. God gives us assurance. And I say thank God for that assurance. You can be assured, friend, that through Jesus Christ, you will be with him in paradise. God gave the thief real hope, true hope. And you can have that hope and certainty today. Many years ago, somebody in Florida found a little old Spanish coin. And on that coin were written the words, plus ultra. Plus ultra means more beyond. That was significance because there was a time when Spanish coins said, nay plus ultra. No more beyond. It was believed that there was no more beyond the Straits of Gibraltar. They didn't know what it was out, out in the outside world. So they thought that that was the end of the world. But then the Spanish Empire expanded. It reached to the mountains of Peru, to Mexico, to California. They discovered there was more beyond. So they changed their coins to say plus ultra, more beyond. It could be said that before Jesus came into the world, nay plus ultra had been written over the graves of all who had died. But the resurrection of Jesus brought hope to humanity. And now there was hope beyond the grave, life beyond this world. Friends, the dead must sleep the dreamless sleep of death. But we thank the Lord today that there's more beyond. Eternal life awaits us today. Through Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection, who is the life. Friends, I ask you today, will you accept the life Jesus offers? Will you? Amen. Do you want the hope that can be found only in him? Amen. Friends, as we pray, I invite you to ask Jesus to be the Lord in your life. Ask him to be your hope. Accept from him that more beyond. Accept that eternal life. Accept that he is the resurrection and he is the life. Please join me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly and Glorious Father, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. We thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you and worship. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. And we also thank you for the gift of truth and the opportunity to combat the deception that has run rampant in the world so that we know the truth between spiritualism and the true biblical explanation of what happens when we die. But Lord, we also accept the glorious promise, the glorious hope that death is not the end. If we come to you, if we accept you, we know that we will see Jesus again. We will rise, and we will come to glory and live with you forever. 
And with that, Lord, we say thank you so much, not only for the gift of life, but the gift of eternal life. Lord, I ask you now, please, send your Holy Spirit down. Be with these souls. Be with the friends that are here. Keep them strong. Keep them safe. Most of them all, bring them closer to you. Build that strong relationship so they can combat these deceptions. Lord, I ask you, please, all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.